Welcome to this video with my Dharma friend and colleague Lopan Yudong Wangmo and today she's going to explain what changes when you take refuge, when you officially become a Buddhist. And just for the record, you don't need to become a Buddhist in order to benefit from Buddhist forms of meditation and reflection and contemplation, but as we share in this conversation together, it, it does feel different after you take refuge and you really commit your life to practicing the Dharma. And also, you are invited, if you'd like to take refuge in a live online ceremony with Yudun Wangmo, you're invited to do that. Please find a link in the show notes to a page where you can register to be included on the list. We're going to figure out who's interested, figure out a good time, and then send an invitation to everybody. You can take refuge on Zoom. In the show notes, you can also find recommendations for books if you want to go a little deeper into what refuge means, and also a link to one of Yudron Wangmo's own videos on refuge, which is a deeper dive into that topic. Finally, this is video two of three, so you can find the link to video one in the show notes, and please stay tuned for video three on how to prepare to take refuge. explain refuge, um, one question that comes up for me and probably that some people will have is, so what's the difference between, you know, meditating and doing these practices versus actually taking refuge and then meditating and doing the practices? Oh, that's God. That's a great question. Um, Well, it's intentionality. So, for example, I'm thinking of all the different, it's kind of a little bit different answer to each of the kinds of meditation you'd be talking about. For example, shamatha meditation and vipassana, um, or inside meditation. Um, if you're doing it to calm down, um, or find a sense of peace. It's beautiful. But if you're doing it for, for example, a Tarabadan level to really reach uh, nirvana, transcendent state, then um, your motivation, I think it would change your practice. But I've never practiced from a, from a um, secular point of view, personally, myself. It's always been, I was never interested. I wouldn't have the, I couldn't, I'd be so bored doing meditation. I was just doing it for the meditation. <laughs> Which seems to I be an issue for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, in practicing the Mahayana practices, Pema Chidron has been so instrumental in um, teaching as a global teacher of Tonglen, in particular, the four immeasurables drawn from the Mahayana tradition. Without taking refuge, without then taking a bodhisattva vow and really committing yourself, it's very positive. But um, I don't know. It seems to me like it wouldn't be quite as transformational. You're not going all in. It's like you're putting one foot in the water, one toe in the water, and you're saying, is that warm enough for me? Is this comfortable? If it's not comfortable, I'll take it out, right? Or maybe it's a little too, too hot. Can I really get in this water? There's nothing wrong with that. But you may decide to jump in the water. And hot or cold, 
because you have a determination to bring all sentient beings, this is at Mahayana level, right, or to a complete awakening, you don't care that much whether it's hot or cold. So, I, I, so tough, so that relates to your ability to take, as we were talking about before, um, open yourself to um, insights that may not be comfortable, meditations that may not be comfortable and may bring up stuff for you, as they say in pop psychology, you know, and it's because you're engaged in a great project of awakening. It's not just feeling bad because, because you're not engaged in a project of feeling better or becoming nicer, <laughs> you know, necessarily, um, you know, you will be kinder and everything, but, but as a matter of course, but that's not your primary motivation, then you'll be able to endure some, frankly, hardship, you know, with our hardship here in this, most of us, and not everyone. There's so much hardship here in the United States. And most people who are enduring, enduring great hardships, such as actively sick, struggling to get put food in the pantry and so forth, they don't have a lot of time for meditation, Buddhism, and so forth. Um, so not addressing that. But for the people who have been, are able to launch into this, um, We motivation matters. It's completely. It's almost like a completely different thing, even though it's the exact same practice. You know, it, your answer reminds me of I think it's Zongzhar Kinsey Rinpoche's book, uh, "Not for Happiness." It's a really good book. It's about the foundational mm -hmm. practices of Tibetan Buddhism. Basically, the title is all about you know if you're looking for comfort and and you know just being able to to settle into where you already are more comfortably. Like Buddhism is not for you. <laughs> that if it's not making you uncomfortable and challenging you and you're not, you know, having to grow, then it's not exactly Dharma. Yes, what attracts people that um, are willing to make that, are willing to endure a little bit of, you know, where I was going with my last thing is maybe it's not physical hardship. Or maybe it is. Sometimes it is. I remember Hatsum Rinpoche telling us we had for some empowerment we had to get down on the ground and sit on the ground and for me that was for hours even that was really painful i'm not a force so it didn't kill me but it was it meant there's an element of trust that that was necessary and this is that's maybe not such a good example because people who are new to dharma might not understand and maybe I don't understand why it was necessary, but it was uh, it was a devotional thing with a teacher at the time. So um, it's more like um, the discomfort of letting go of old habits and and letting the Dharma change you. It really should change you. It's not a way of affirming. Oh, you're you know like say we used to do affirmations back in the seventies, you know. Every day and every way, you're getting better and better. Maybe not. Maybe you're getting worse and worse. Maybe you're becoming an egotistical person. Maybe, you know, <laughs> it's not onward and upward in this world. I'm sorry, Captain Kirk <laughs> and um, John Lennon, you know. and uh, It's not, everything is not always onward and upward. We have to create our own trajectory as individuals. Um, so, and that is requires guidance and listening and reflecting to the Buddhist teachings. Is that too harsh? <laughs> 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 
answering, I was thinking back to a time I had been Buddhist already for, I guess, I don't know, seven or eight years, but I was thinking about the time when my mom had cancer and ended up passing away. And it was just the most excruciating, horrible, difficult experience I'd ever been through. But the thing that really I appreciated about the Dharma, especially coming out of that experience after she had passed away, was like, holy shit, the Buddha was right. <laughs> Impermanence is real. Death is real. Illness is real. And um, I feel like for me, that was a moment I had taken refuge. But when I really got mm. that the core ideas of Buddhism were not just philosophy that I read out of a book, it's like, for me, that's when my refuge really became refuge as opposed to, you know, something that I recite every day and I bow down. Um, it was like, oh, okay, this is going to happen to me and I'm not ready right now and I want to be ready. And um, yeah, so I think there's just something for me anyway, you mentioned that like a lot of us, we don't come to Dharma because we're like in a good place. <laughs> I think I didn't come to this deeper yeah. level of Dharma practice you know, from like happy, you know, my life is going great. So I just, I just appreciate, you know, you talking about the hardships because I think they're part of Dharma, but they're also part of life and we could at least grow from them when we have to face them. Exactly. Buddha Dharma gives you a context. So it paces all, all in a bigger mm -hmm. picture and every, um, well, one of my friends that had cancer and she said, Oh yeah, it's another effing growth opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she was being sarcastic, but also it's true. It is another effing growth opportunity. You know, she's still alive, so <laughs> that's great. But you know, it really, I, for example, when I was thirty, learned that I had the um, BRCA2 breast cancer gene mutation, so I'm at high risk for hereditary cancer. Fortunately, I know now at sixty-three that I'm. I haven't gotten it so far. So um, that's nice. But at that point in life, it was a major sort of turning point because I was, yes, I'd taken refuge like you. It was a really cool thing to do. I had the grooviest teacher, <laughs> you know. And But when I got the news that I, I might die, you know, this a lot of, and I was in forums with people whose rel, relatives were the same Hereditary condition were dropping like flies. You know, they'd had five, you know, siblings die of uh, cancer. You know, I was reading all that all the time, which is probably maybe not so healthy. <laughs> but I just, um, it completely made me a kick ass. Oh, oh God, I'm, I'm now I'm bragging. This is terrible. But, you know, it really put, it put lit, lit a fire under my beat behind. Um, to for, do our foundational practices with great gusto. And I didn't have feel like I had a day to waste. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to finish that my first set, foundational practices in Lindro in our Tibetan tradition. And when before I died and I didn't know when I was gonna get cancer and die. Once you, you're sick you can't really it's hard to practice. Yeah. So it hit home in a personal way, mm -hmm. right? Mm hmm Like you and your mom. Yeah. I think that's what it takes often. <laughs> cut through the denial. Mm -hmm. 